What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Donks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. Today, we have a mailbag episode. Needed a little help, needed a little direction from you guys this week. Thankfully, got some questions in on IG. I appreciate your questions. We touch on the trade deadline. We touch on rookies to watch heading into the playoffs. A lot of ground to cover, so let's just jump right in. First question comes from at Corey Conway from Instagram. Does the Aaron Gordon acquisition by Denver hurt or help MPJ rookie cards? Of course, Aaron Gordon just traded from the Orlando Magic to the Denver Nuggets. Plays a similar position to Michael Porter Jr. So, uh, very good question. Uh, here was last night's starting lineup for the Denver Nuggets against the Atlanta Hawks. Jamal Murray, Farton Will Barton, Nikola Jokic, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr., a pretty successful night for that group. They led the way as the, the Nuggets mopped the floor against the Atlanta Hawks, 126 to 102. Can't really make much of one game, but the initial results at least were encouraging. The five starters scored 12, 17, 16, 15, and 13 points. MPJ scoring 15, Gordon scoring the 13. Uh, usage was fairly even across the board for all starting five. All five of them right, really right around the 20% range with the guards being a bit higher and Gordon coming in at the lowest of the 19.2% usage. And this is the type of thing that we've come to expect from the Nuggets. You know, they're one of the best teams in the league when it comes to team style basketball. Lots of off-ball cuts, great unselfish distribution, even from the top of the roster. Now, there's just a lot to like about this team and they definitely got better with Aaron Gordon now in the fold. Now, the Nuggets' best wing defender last year was Jeremy Grant, and, and obviously he's with the Pistons now. Uh, there was really nothing replicating Grant on this year's Nuggets roster. Torrey Craig was another strong wing defender uh, that could come up against some tougher matchups, and now he's with the Suns, obviously. Michael Porter Jr. went from the 11th most minutes on the team last year, averaging just over 16 minutes per game. And this year, he started the majority of the games, and he's averaging just under 30 per night. So his role has changed tremendously. But up to this point, we've run into the problem of the opponent's best wings needing to be covered by Will Barton or Michael Porter Jr. or just some patchwork of other defenders. And it's been predictably ugly. The Nuggets have a bottom 10 defense in the league by defensive rating. Michael Porter Jr. has been the subject of a lot of ire on defense since he's very weak on that side of the ball. And the Nuggets just don't have that strong defensive presence behind him to help clean up his mistakes against the league's best and brightest stars. And that's why Aaron Gordon fits on this roster. And also why I think he's a strong fit next to Michael Porter Jr. He's a very versatile defender, uh, very gifted on the ball. Uh, he's going to be a huge help to MPJ because he'll just cover the best wing or forward each night. And take last night, for instance. In Gordon's 20-ish minutes, he spent most of those minutes covering John Collins, affording MPJ the ability to just stick with Tony Snell all night. Now, obviously, that's much better than any other alternative. And I'd obviously expect all that to continue, which should help with the overall perception of Michael Porter Jr., as well as the actual on-court performance for the Denver Nuggets. It's on the other side of the ball that this question is revolving around more. And again, I'm optimistic. You know, Aaron Gordon was sort of miscast by necessity on the Orlando Magic. Uh, that team was always extremely forward and center heavy in, in every year that Gordon was on the team, meaning that he usually always had to play down a position. And as the fourth overall pick, they wanted him to carry the offense night in and night out, something which he's just not ideally fit for. Now, he had often had, had to take a lot of shots in isolation and from deep that 
clearly he just wasn't very comfortable taking. Now, a lot of that is going to hinge on how Aaron Gordon sees himself now that he's on a contender. If he wants to be a focal point on the team, it will probably eat into Michael Porter Jr.'s usage. If he's happy playing a role he's better suited for, being a defensive first player and facilitating a bit on offense, acting primarily as a role man and a cutter, I think he's going to be a fairly clean fit. Uh, historically, he's only ha he's only a sub 21% usage rate player. Uh, so it's not like he's a, he's been one to gobble up a bunch of possessions or anything like that. And he's an un underrated passer, in my opinion, which I think really should fit uh, well into this Nuggets team style of play overall. And, you know, if just going by what I've heard, everything I've ever heard about Aaron Gordon is that he's a great teammate, a nice guy. So uh, I really think he probably is going to adapt his style of play to fit with the Nuggets rather than forcing guys like Michael Porter Jr. to fit around him. So long story short, in answer to the question, does the Aaron Gordon acquisition by Denver hurt or help MPJ rookie cards? Uh, I don't think it's going to hurt. Um, I think they have clearly different roles on the team, roles which ought to help one another. And, and so long as they're happy playing to their strengths, I think this also makes MPJ more comfortable and makes the the Nuggets much stronger in the West. And for what it's worth, I did watch last night's Nuggets game. This this Monday I'm recording, so I'm talking about Sunday's matchup again. And it did look like Michael Porter Jr. had a bit more pep in his step. And of course, I was just kind of looking at him and watching him to try and figure out for myself where this was going to be going for their relationship. Uh, it looked like he had more pep in his step, and I think things moving forward should continue to look pretty good. Uh, by the way, every single one of Aaron Gordon's 21 minutes last night were played alongside Michael Porter Jr., so Mike Malone certainly thinks they can play together. They also had a net rating of plus 43.8 in those minutes, not too shabby. Uh, we'll have to keep monitoring their partnership as we get more games under their belts. Next question comes in from JSP Attaford. I don't know if it's J Spatiford, something like that. But in honor of Suez Canal shipwreck reclamation projects, think Malik Monk. Uh, great question. Of course, you're probably all aware of the Suez Canal situation. If you're not, basically a huge freighter called the Ever Given somehow got stuck diagonally in a canal. Uh, the Suez Canal blocking up hundreds and hundreds of cargo ships. That's in the, the Red Sea, you know, Suez Canal, Mediterranean region of the world, which is an extremely important seaway for trade. It was a whole big thing, but uh, they got the ship unstuck this morning. Life resumed, uh, or it's at least in the process of resuming along that corridor, corridor. And ultimately, less important than that, but more important to our discussions here, who are the NBA versions of the Ever Given? Well, we got one right away in the question. That was Malik Monk. He's having the best season of his career so far. You know, after largely disappointing years, which he held flashes of promise, um, but really kind of disappointed overall, he's really started to finally turn the corner and become a highly effective scorer. He's still only averaging 21.7 minutes per night. He's scoring 13.2 points while shooting nearly 42% from deep on over five three-point attempts per game and shooting 57.1% from the field by effective field goal percentage, which is a few percentage points better than the league average. All that goes along with just 2.6 rebounds and 1.8 assists per game. So really, we're just talking about a pure scorer here. But it is his first season in which the shots are actually falling. He was a career 32% three-point shooter before this year with a sub-48% effective field goal percentage. Obviously, he's taken a leap in both those departments and in this, his fourth season. And by the way, he only just turned 23 in February, so still pretty young. Uh, he's going to have to play a bigger role moving forward now that LaMelo Ball is out. 
Uh, so perhaps we'll start seeing him put up more 32 perform point performances like he did against the Heat on Friday. And then looking forward, the Hornets have to, you know, going forward, have to start making a decision going into the summer if they're going to keep Malik Monk or if they're going to keep Devontae Graham. Uh, I assume anyways that they're only going to want to have to pay one of those players. I'm pretty sure that's going to be Malik Monk. And assuming he gets a pretty nice payday, he should be looking at an expanded role next year. While we're talking about it, depending on where Devontae Graham's signs next summer, he could be an interesting name to watch on the card market as well. My next reclamation project is another guy who's having the best year of his career, another 2017 NBA draft product. It's Lonzo Ball of the New Orleans Pelicans. He's up in scoring all around. He's averaging a career-high 14.2 points per game on, on better shooting than ever before. He's upped his three-point attempts per game to just a hair under eight attempts per. Uh, he's also upped his three-point shooting efficiency along with it, hitting at a 38.5% clip. Really good to see that strong three-point improvement from last year that uh, you know turns out just wasn't a fluke. He's also shooting better than the league average overall with a nearly 55% effective field goal percentage. Now, all that being said, during last year's bubble, he, he was playing highly unmotivated basketball. At least it seemed like it from the outside. I don't know what to make of it. You know, there could have been other circumstances, but it simply just didn't look like he wanted to be there. Then at this year's trade deadline, there were just there were substantiated rumors that the Pelicans were actively shopping Lonzo Ball to the Bulls, to the Knicks, to the Clippers. Uh, there was an anonymous agent who told uh, this uh, journalist, Evan Massey, that Lonzo doesn't like playing in New Orleans. He likes his teammates, but he doesn't like the city, would prefer to play in Chicago or New York. And, you know, with those types of rumors, who knows what to believe? It could be just a claim, could be Ball's agent trying to signal to the Pelicans that his client doesn't want them to match any offer sheets. I have no idea what's happening or what's going on, but it's also just not the most unbelievable rumor out there. I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see him move to one of those big markets this offseason and then start playing highly motivated basketball. Uh, he's been playing more and more effectively through the years, and I could see him take off even more next year if he's playing somewhere that he actually wants to be. Finally, our third uh, player of interest, a true reclamation project. That's the third-year big man Marvin Bagley of the Sacramento Kings. He's having the worst year of his career so far, at least by counting stats. Just under 26 minutes per night, 14 points, 7.4 rebounds, almost an assist per game, not taking too many threes, but hitting just over 35% of them, and just about league average 54.3% effective field goal percentage. True shooting percentage includes free throw percentage, and by that metric, he's shooting below league average due to his 56% success rate from the charity stripe. Now, if the rumors are to be believed, the Kings were shopping him, too, pretty hard leading up to the trade deadline. You know, that's after his dad openly requested the Kings trade him back in January. Where there's smoke, there's often fire. And I assume that the Kings will try to move on from him in the offseason as they try to free up cap space to resign Rashawn Holmes without going into the luxury tax. You know, as it stands, they're already $21 million over the salary cap heading into next year. Bagley is on the books for $11 million next year. Uh, now they were you know, evidently unable to find any suitors in their reported trade attempts. And even if none of that's true, Bagley's perceived value has never been lower. And while I'm, you know, I've said it many times before, I'm not in love with his game at all. He offers, uh, but still he offers enough skill set that if he were picked up by a rebuilding team, you know, with cap room to absorb his contract, I could see a rejuvenated Bagley putting up some really impressive numbers and creating some short term card market excitement. 
might be a bit of a long shot, but you know, he's the definition of a reclamation project. And, and I would guess that some big changes are coming for him within the next six months, something to monitor. Sometimes players just don't work out in a city and they need a change of scenery. I think he's gonna be a big change of scenery guy this coming year. Next question comes from Sam Blauvelt. Sorry if I butchered your name like the first name though, Sam Sam, that's good. Uh, Sam Blavelt, with his current standout performances, where's the love for Zion? Quick answer, no slide or anything. Zion has been awesome. 26 points, seven rebounds, three and a half assists. Obviously his shooting percentages are through the roof since he hits at like 84% or when he's around the rim or whatever. Uh, and he takes most of his shots around the rim. Uh, he's been given more power to facilitate in the pick and roll as the ball handler in the minutes when he's on the court, the Pelicans have the best offensive rating in the league. All good things, of course, clearly. Uh, now, they just aren't very good as a team right now. They're currently sitting at 20 and 25, which just sort of happens often when your best players are so young as, as it is with the Pelicans. Now, he's really in a similar position to Giannis at the moment, in my opinion, which is, you know, we all know what you can do, but you have to show us more before we all jump on board. You know, if, if he can turn his team into a winner and then manage to win in the playoffs, the hesitancy that we're currently seeing in his market at the moment will be a thing of the past. If he continues to struggle, like if he starts getting injured, like a lot of people are worried about, if he can't build a winner, if he can't win in the playoffs, well, then this soft market you know, is going to just continue due to the expectations on him. I think most people are in wait and see mode with him right now, since there is a lot of money involved in any of his cards. But I strongly believe that long term, he's going to be a very good player. He's going to be a very good player for a long time. You know, hopefully no injuries, of course, along the way. Uh, but once he starts checking some of those boxes, building a winner, winning in the playoffs, you know, the market's going to rebound on him rather quickly and, and we'll kind of forget this stagnant period in his market. Who are some cheap-ish rookies, rotation players on playoff teams to keep an eye on? That comes from Mr. Archer. Uh, so we're looking for cheap, young players on a playoff teams, also rotational players so cheap young players they're actually getting minutes on a playoff team so that's a good question also a pretty tough one to figure out to be honest uh, of course this year there are more teams in line for the playoffs since the seventh through tenth seeds in each conference will be having a play-in round which should be fairly exciting uh, so basically i'm looking at young cheap players that i think will get minutes in the current top 10 seeds in each conference I have five guys that I'm watching, and by the nature of this question, most of these are long shots. Just want to throw that out there. Some are probably you know, a bit more uh, in line for more minutes and more uh, relevance in the playoffs than others, but generally pretty much long shots, but still fun to think about. So first up, that's Patrick Williams of the Chicago Bulls. You know, Bringing in Vooch is a nice win now move for this Bulls team. They're going to need defense, though, and Williams is far beyond the curve in that regard. You know, he's one of the few rookies that's actually getting regular playing time. He's starting every single game this year, uh, playing 28 minutes per night. If the Bulls hang on for the playoffs, which I assume they will, especially now with Vooch in the fold, he's definitely going to be getting some more airtime and will probably also be matching up against the opponent's premier wings every single night. So probably a fair amount of focus to be found on him during the playoff broadcasts. Next up is Terrence Mann of the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, he's another youngster to watch. Not a rookie. He's a second-year player. He was a second-round pick in last year's draft. He's also only averaging 17 minutes per game on the season, but over the last five or so games, he's really become a staple in the ro rotation. Uh, he's been seeing 25, even 30 minutes in a given game over that stretch. 
He's on a team that isn't nearly as deep as it was last year. They're still trying to figure out their depth and their bench and their rotation. And I think that Terrence Mann has a bigger role on this team heading into the playoffs. Might start getting noticed a lot more if that is the case. He's playing really well, shoots uh, shoots well from three, uh, does a lot of things that the Clippers really need at this point. Uh, it, going over to New York, Emmanuel Quickly, I've talked about him several times in the past several weeks. Uh, he's been getting a steady dose of 25 or so minutes per game since the middle of March, which he should be getting more and more of those as the season goes on. Uh, he's one of the best pure scorers on this Knicks roster. Uh, he's playing in such a big media market. I could easily imagine a media storm forming around him if he gets hot from deep one game in the playoffs, uh, which he absolutely can do. So he's just another name to watch. Peyton Pritchard of the Boston Celtics, he's really had a nice rookie year, especially as a generally overlooked 26th overall pick in this year's draft. Uh, Celtics are struggling to find their image lately. Kemba Walker, he just hasn't lived up to his billing. Uh, they did just pick up Evan Fournier, and that might affect Pritchard's minutes, but they also dumped Jeff Teague in the transaction, which does open up some point guard minutes. So perhaps Pritchard gets some time under the bright lights this postseason. Who knows? Again, a lot of these are kind of long shots. But I do generally like Pritchard, and I think he's going to get some shine in the playoffs. Lastly, Desmond Bain of the Memphis Grizzlies. He's the last name to consider. He's the best three-point shooter on the Grizzlies, also a very stout on-ball defender, and he's firmly in the rotation at 22 minutes per night. Uh, come playoff time, I definitely could see Desmond Bain getting some meaningful minutes. Plus, this is going to sound kind of stupid, uh, his arms, I don't know if you've seen his arms, are like huge He's the type of player, just on the basis of that, really, that probably going to go viral under the right circumstances. And I'm talking about the playoffs here. So uh, kind of a fun name to watch. Also, pretty good player. From Prime Finders, what was your long shot play this season and how did it play out? Surprised in results. So we're talking about uh, you know young players, probably, obviously, and, and their cards. I didn't myself personally, you know, I wasn't actively buying and selling. I didn't have any long shot plays myself, but uh, this question did remind me of this slide that I have on the screen right now, which I had in my card market do's and don'ts for 2020-2021 that aired on December 15th, so just about a week before the season actually began. Uh, this was all in connection with the discussion around Taylor Horton Tucker. At the time, his card market was just absolutely exploding, and I was talking in this video, how it didn't really make any sense since the types of minutes that he had been seeing in the preseason were certainly not going to be there come the regular season. Uh, then I pulled up eight other guys who were cheaper and similar long shots that I thought stood a chance to have better roles than THT. Uh, so I thought I'd grade myself both on player performance and on the particular card that I featured. I do have eight different cards here and I really just didn't want to choose prism silvers or anything like that when I was throwing these cards up there. So some of these were just kind of random selections um, for, for the visual sake, but we'll go with it anyways. We'll grade myself both on the players that I chose and on the, uh, the card performance too. Uh, kind of a mixed bag, but it's pretty interesting. First up, I had Darius Garland featured on his Mosaic Genesis. I was correct about Garland, even though that was mostly just wishful thinking on my part, uh, but he had 16.6 .6 points, 5.7 assists, uh, Big improvements over his rookie year all around. He's shooting just about 40% from deep. That's all really good, especially considering where he was at last year. This particular Mosaic Genesis rookie using the most recent auction, it's seen a 68% increase since the day I made that video. Not too shabby Samuel shock that went up for a win. Kevin Porter Jr. was up next on his select courtside rookie. This is what I chose to feature. 
Uh, season obviously went different than I had expected when I made this video. He's now on the Rockets, and the early returns are pretty good. Nearly 30 minutes per night, 16 points, 3 rebounds, 6 assists, all pretty good. 3-point shooting leaves a bit to be desired, sitting at 25%. This particular card, though, looking at the PSA 10 auction data, it's up 311% since December 11th. Again, not too bad. Uh, Nick Claxton of the Brooklyn Nets is next. He hasn't had the role that I was hoping for yet, but he is trending in that direction. Although, again, uh, the recent buyout pickups might change all that. Uh, but lately, he has been gaining steam in the card market and in the NBA community in general. Uh, so pretty prescient prediction by me there. Under 20 minutes per night, uh, nine points, four and a half rebounds, one and a half blocks per game. I'm looking at his super short printed base prism sticker auto rookie. Hard to find comparable end, uh, auctions ending in between December and today, but expanding that a bit to November, this card is up 26%. That's okay. I think it'll probably grow from here heading into the playoffs though. Next up was Chris Boucher, and at least I wasn't far off in predicting that he'd have a strong role in the Raptors. He has seen 23 minutes per night, 13.6 points, 6.4 rebounds, 1.9 blocks per game. He's gone off scoring a number of times and, and was a pretty popular name there for a while at the beginning of the year. Never really took off a whole ton in the card market, though, and, and there's just not much auction data for the Panini Instant card that I chose to feature. Uh, just a couple huge lots that sold in January, and, and that's it. So I'm going to be chalking that up to as a loss, since apparently no one really cares about that card at all. And it's just a Panini Instant, so who can blame him? Next was Malik Monk. Not every day that Malik Monk's name gets mentioned twice in one video. Uh, again, he's been enjoying his best season so far. I featured him on his Optic Blue, which is numbered out of 49. Uh, just really not much sales data, which isn't that much surprising. Uh, going to steal this as a, a partial win, though. Kind of cheating here. His PSA 10 Prism Silver is up 59% since the day I recorded this. So he has improved as a player, and his general card market has improved, too. So pretty decent player prediction, anyways. Next up was Lowry Markkinen. I'm going to chalk this up as a loss immediately because I just now realized that I included a second-year card on this slide. I think I originally thought I was including a rookie. Uh, but that's his 2019-2020 Select Red Wave. Uh, double loss for me because even though he's having an okay statistical season, 17.4 points, 5.8 rebounds, shooting 38% from long range, he's really become very unpopular in the Windy City. And all signs are pointing to the Bulls probably going to be moving on from him this summer. Next, I had Cameron Johnson of the Phoenix Suns on his NBA Hoops Orange Explosion rookie numbered out of 25. Uh, there hasn't been a sale on that card since the day I shot that video, which is understandable since it is only out of 25, and, and it's also Cameron Johnson. Uh, but it doesn't help my long shot play grades, uh, so that kind of stinks. Also really just hasn't improved very much from last year. 9.8 points, 37% shooting from deep, which is his calling card. Uh, kind of a nothing burger all around. And then my longest of all long shots was Mie Oni of the Utah Jazz, looking at his immaculate odd, rookie auto out of 99. He's played eight minutes per game over 31 games, two points and two rebounds. That's the much less impressive version of a double-double. Uh, this particular card, Auto, most recently ended on auction for $10. I can't find any data points before January 25th, and it's lost 60% from that time, or it's lost 15 bucks overall, so chalking that up as a big loss. So what was your long shot play this season? How did it play out? Surprising the results? 
fine, I guess, about 50% success rate uh, with the money probably working out in my favor had I gone and bought all these cards before the season when I talked about them and sold them if I had sold them today. And most of that earnings would just be coming from my Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, but yeah, fun exercise. So thanks for the question. All right, that is the end of the mailbag. I really, really appreciate anyone that sent in questions. Uh, if I do this again, please continue to feel free to submit some. I uh, really needed help this week in, in getting some material. So I appreciate your help. I also really appreciate you taking the time to watch and lending me your ear for the last half hour or so. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks again.